Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Well, hi, Frank. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm in Pennsylvania. Where are you? I'm doing good. I'm in Cape Coral, Florida. How are you? Okay. Yes. It is nice and warm down here compared to Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's plenty and cold. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on. Can you tell me a little bit about your service member, um, your parent who was a service member, and what kind of it was like growing up as a military child? Okay. Uh, my uh, father was uh, a sergeant in the Army, and uh, he was in World War II first, and then uh, after he was in the Battle of the Bulge back in the 44, 45. And after the war, he met my mother in uh, uh, Bangor, Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, and they got married and had four kids. And okay, so we are still, we were obviously uh, going with them wherever they would go from there on. And um, so my father, let's see, where, where did we go? We got moved pretty early when, uh, well, the first three of us boys, anyway, were moved pretty early when my father uh, was sent to West Germany to uh, Heilbronn, and uh, he was in the Signal Corps working on radio communications and so on. And uh, after that, we went to Fort, uh, Fort Knox, uh, back to Germany again, where my fourth brother was born, George. And, um, and after that, uh, we went to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which was the best place for me. I just love Fort Huachuca, uh, the desert wide open, uh, miles and miles of, to explore the, the canyon, the desert floor, and so on. Anyway, that was the best uh, part, I think, of my childhood. But then after that, uh, well, that was ended because my father was sent to Vietnam in 1963, so the early part of the war. And uh, uh, so that we, we were waiting for him for a year. He came back fine. And then we were sent to Fort Ritchie and ended up being sent then uh, near Camp Fort Ritchie was in Maryland. And uh, Camp Roberts, California was our last stop uh, and generally, I loved uh, I loved uh, Germany. It was a terrific place too, and of course Fort Huachuca, uh, Fort Ritchie was a, a nice, pleasant place in uh, in Maryland there in the Appalachians. And uh, and I liked the moving a lot, except for that <laughs> that one move from Fort Ritchie was too much and too abrupt. <laughs> was there a favorite place or a favorite move that? you know, or somewhere that felt like home? I know you mentioned a couple of them, but is there somewhere where you like really connected with the area that you were in? Yes, that was uh, Fort Huachuca, Arizona. That's in Southern Arizona near the Mexican border, near a little town called Sierra Vista. And uh, on the south side of the fort is the Huachuca Mountains. Um, it's, it's high enough elevation that it keeps uh, temperature down a little bit for a desert, especially... Right especially if you're climbing up uh, the canyon. Uh, one of the great things about Fort Huachuca is you could climb up the canyon and find yourself in snow and then come down from the canyon back into the fort and it's it's desert heat is really hot. So it's amazing you have uh, two uh, climate zones in the same place, but uh, that was only one part of Fort Huachuca, but it was uh, a great part of it too. 
Yeah. Did you often um, like get exploring in areas right outside the base or um, kind of adventure out to see what was in the area as well? Yes. Uh, of course, the Fort Huachuca was big enough that uh, didn't have to go too, didn't have to look very far for exploration because there's miles and miles to look at. But uh, we got out to the neighboring town of Sierra Vista and also being in the uh, uh, the band in school, I was in fifth grade there in the band and uh, we were in the marching band. My, bro- my older brother and I were in the marching band in uh, Tombstone, Arizona. And we often got to Tombstone for Eldorado days. They would celebrate the uh, uh, October I forgot what year, was it 1881 or 82, uh, uh, the anniversary of that uh, gunfight at the OK Corral. So they'd have a bunch of people reenacting the gunfight and then also people just dressed up in the, in the old uh, address of uh, the 1880s. That was a fun place to visit to Tombstone. And it seems like a lot of towns in Arizona that are very tiny and yet people know about Tombstone and they know about Tucson. It's not a huge city, but it's a it's not too far either. We get up there a lot too. Yeah. Did going to school, how was it when you had to move schools? Um, did you go on post a lot to schools? Um, let's see, a little bit of both as far as school, on post and off post. And isn't it interesting how in the Army, we, we always say post, on post. Yes. Post. <laughs> and in the Navy and the Air Force, it's always on base, off base. Right. The first time I noticed that was when we went to Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona, just to visit for Armed Forces Day, I think it was. And they would talk about being on base and off base. I'm, I'm thinking they're talking about baseball. But <laughs> in the Army, you hear posts all the time. Uh, yes, for but, sure. Uh, what, was the, what was the question you just asked me? Sorry. Um, school. Did you go on post, off post? What was that like? Yeah. Um, it's interesting that. In, okay, in Germany, we were on post. It uh, was uh, Patrick Henry Village in Heidelberg was the last place I remember for school uh, in Germany. And, um, and yeah, we were, that was, a, that was a, a good school. I think we had really good teachers there. We came back to the United States. And um, for a while, I was put in a Catholic school in, uh, in Pennsylvania and a lot stricter for sure. Right. We had our uniforms and ties and so on. And um, then back to, uh, well, I, I go back to Fort Huachuca, where we were great schools there, but certainly a lot more relaxed atmosphere than a, a private Catholic school. And it's funny how you, you can think back on it that the two differences, the two different approaches to education were, were fine. Uh, both had an. an an angle that was good for the student. I mean, I was happy to be in a more relaxed atmosphere in a, in a, a post school or a public school. And, but I was also, I think I benefited too from the, the structure of a, and discipline of a, of a private school too, the Catholic schools I went to. So, um, but I did notice a difference that there's definitely a, a lighter atmosphere in a, in a post school. The ones that I went to anyway, there may be differences to, depending on the fort you're in. Yeah. When I, um, I grew up and my dad was taking a seven year break. Um, he was in, uh, right out of high school and then he, uh, medically discharged 
in 2003, and I was about a year, year and a half old at the time. And so I grew up in a civilian world, more or less, and so I went to a public school, and that's really all I knew kind of growing up. And where was that? Uh, That was in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. So that was there, and then he re-enlisted in 2010 and um, went back into the Army. Like, they uh, medically cleared him. They were like, you're good to go. Um and you can reenlist. So he reenlisted into the army in 2010. And then uh, he got on a deployment to Afghanistan in August of 2011. And there he ended up stepping on an IED and getting injured. And he then was going to Texas for his uh, medical recovery at Fort Sam Houston. Wow. And so – you know, I had never moved in my life, and then here we are. So oh. <laughs> I moved from Cleveland, Ohio at the age of um, – I was about nine, nine and a half at that time. And so I moved to Fort Sam Houston, and then uh, then I had a experience of uh, on post school, and – it was so different for me. Not different for um, you. What was the difference? So, okay, the schools in uh, Cleveland um, or in, like, our, our school district were ran off of levies. And so if the levy wasn't passed, then the state had to fund schooling. And so if the levy was passed, then schools were funded off of, I believe, property tax. And so right before he got hurt, the levy was not passed. And so we were going to state-funded schooling. And all of the state of Ohio, uh, all they would fund was five-hour school days. You learned math and reading. And if you got a free lunch, you got a bag of lunch out the door. And if you got caught eating it on the school bus, it was going to be taken away from you. Um, yeah, it was insane. There was, it was literally only math and reading. There was no gym, no, no library, like all of those. No no history. Nope. Well, we didn't even learn history. Um, even when it was funded off of levies, like we didn't learn history and we didn't learn science really either. It was. You were in Cleveland most of your life up to nine and a half years old, right? Yes. Yeah. So I was still pretty much in elementary school, kind of younger. Um, so I hadn't gotten to like middle school or high school where, you know, you have those specific like history and science classes, yeah. um, which I guess makes a difference. But, <laughs> you know, so um, what was the difference then you noticed in the school? In, uh, was it Texas? Yeah. So Fort Sam. Um, and so when I got there, um, it was. I had computer, I had art, I had drama, I had music, I had gym, I had math, reading, history, science. I had never learned any history in my entire life. And then I got to Texas and I was learning about Texas history and the Alamo. And I was like, what even is an Alamo? <laughs> like, Because I had never wow. heard of any of that before. So I was kind of confused, you know, going into that. But 
You know, it was interesting. It was cool, you know, because there's things that I learned there that if I stayed in Ohio, I would have never learned at all. It's really interesting. uh, So in a way, your life is backwards from mine as far as, you know, I started in the army or being part of my father's army career. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, then we got out when I was 13. So I, I moved 13 okay. times. I moved 13 times before I was 13. Wow. So usually once a year, obviously. And occasionally, right. like in Fort Huachuca, we were there for two and a half years, which was a really long time. But what I'm thinking about in comparison to you is, uh, so you moved at nine and a half. I moved at age 10 from Arizona, but I had grown so attached to Fort Huachuca in that area and my friends there and so on that I just felt it was a terrible thing. I couldn't, I, in fact, I wrote a, pres- a letter to President Kennedy and asked, <laughs> not, I was 10 years old, wrote him a letter, asked him not to send my father to Vietnam. And then, uh, yeah. and then I saw, uh, I saw my father a few days later and he was taking me somewhere in the car and I don't remember where, but I said to him, if I wrote a letter to President Kennedy and asked him, asked him to keep you here, would he keep you here? And he said, yeah, but don't write that letter. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't tell him, but it was already in the mail. <laughs> we got the, uh, we dry, there's a period of time elapsed before he actually went to Vietnam a month or so. And we drove to Pennsylvania to stay with my, the rest of other relatives anyway in Pennsylvania. And while we were there, I got a letter in the mail from the Pentagon. And it was a, a colonel answering my letter to President Kennedy. Oh, my goodness. My father opened the letter and uh, saw that I had written to the president and <laughs> called me into a room and uh, we talked about it. But you know, he, he said you shouldn't have done that, but it was nice that you did. And I, I also told him that, he said, didn't I tell you uh, uh, not to write that letter? And I said, it was already in the mail. And then he understood. <laughs> but he went. <laughs> That's a cool experience, though. He's gone for a year. I guess it was cool in a way. But but uh, what I wanted to say, though, was that when we left Arizona, having been there only two and a half years compared to, you know, your, your longer life in Ohio, I felt like I was leaving my life behind. I thought my story, my life story would go behind, go on without me in, in Arizona when I moved to Pennsylvania. It would still be going on, but I don't know what I'd be doing. <laughs> Yeah, it's so abrupt and such a big uh, uprooting to somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't even used to moving. So I was very like devastated. I was excited, but it was so much unknown too. of, you know, uh, my sister, I have a younger sister. And so when he got hurt, my mom got a phone call saying that he got hurt and that she needed to basically have her bags ready because they didn't know where she was going, where he was going, um, you know, what was going to be happening from there on. Um, And they didn't, like, they were starting to get her passport ready um, in case she needed to fly to Germany, you know, things like that. You know, those those preparations were starting to happen. Um, But they were pretty confident that he would uh, make the trip from Germany to um, the states and they didn't want her flight and his flight to end up crossing um, because they had no clue when they were going to transport him. And so a week later uh, had went by. He got hurt on a Sunday and the following Sunday came around and he was um, getting on the flight from Germany to San Antonio. 
And she got on the flight from Ohio to San Antonio, and they both made it there, but my sister and I stayed behind because my mom was like, I have no clue what I'm going to be walking into when I get into that, that, you know, hospital room. I had no clue what I'm going to be seeing. I don't know. You know, she knew his injuries, but like she didn't know the extent really. Um, She just knew like the major injuries. And so she was like, I'm going to leave the girls here so they can, uh, it was November. So you know, we were able to finish out our school year um, that semester. And so we stayed with another friend who uh, her husband, her now husband, he was his her fiance at the time, but he was my dad's NCOIC. So he was also in Afghanistan with him. Um, but we were able to stay with her. She was also in the army. And, um, so she kind of knew like our lives and things like that. And we were really close with her. So we stayed with her for about a month. And then my sister and I flew to Texas and we finished out our school in Ohio for that semester. And we were like, okay, pack your bags, let's go. And we had no clue how long we were going to be there for. It was a, just put, yeah, in Texas. So we just kind of, we ended up being there. From no, well, my parents were there in November. I flew there in December, um, right before Christmas. I think it was like the 22nd or 23rd of December. And then we moved May 23rd. We ended up getting in an accident when we were moving. So a couple days after. Um, so like the end of May, beginning of June of 2014. So we had like two and a half years-ish there. Where, where? In Texas. Oh, you were there for two and a half years in Texas. And then where did yeah. you? Uh, then we came to Florida. My dad retired. Oh. Um, he was going to try and stay in. Um, he had letters of recommendation and everything. Like he was ready to, you know, just stay in and keep going. Um, but they were like, with the extent of your injuries, you know, there's not much you can do. And we don't know like what. Um, what he wanted to do was not something that he really could physically do. And so he was like, okay, I'm just going to take my medical retirement and get out. And so that's what we did. And then, uh, we moved to, to Cape Coral, Florida then, and we've been here ever since. Oh, he's doing great. Yeah. We just came up on his tenure, um, the, his 10th alive date. Uh, from when he got injured. So, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, when we moved there, everyone's like, oh, now you have your, you know, your alive date. And we were like, what's an alive date? Wow. And it's, you know, the day that, you know, you should have died. But, yeah. I mean, and you almost, like, he literally almost died. Um, it must have been but, for him, boy. It's, yeah, so it's the day you stay alive. So what yeah, fathers, what our fathers go through. I know it's it's crazy. You know, there's so much that you know, especially now since I only technically had so many years as uh, around the military life. It's amazing, like seeing that and then seeing it from the outside perspective as well. Yeah, people. When my father went to Vietnam, most people didn't even know what Vietnam was. Right. <laughs> it was early. Yeah. And now, uh, yeah, I don't know. 
that's another another side to the story of Army brats, how they look at uh, uh, war and so on. That it's the only, only thing that really broke up my childhood was my father going to Vietnam for a year and then he came back and he was fine. So that's fine that way. But it's funny, for losing that year, I, uh, you know, I kind of take Vietnam personally. And yeah. I know he was over there to do a good job and to do to help the South Vietnamese people come up with a free country, which they didn't in the end. But uh, I value what he did. And uh, it's important that people remember that. Yeah. And, you know, kind of my day experience was the Afghanistan um, draw drawdown. And, you know, it's so it was heartbreaking in the moments and it's so sad, you know, looking back on it because if you weren't military, like you, you could empathize with what was happening, but you really didn't know. And it's one of those things where you have to be in the moment and you have to see it and you have to understand it. And it's like, you know, he got hurt over there. So it's like part of me, you know, I always say still over there in a sense because, you know, he part of him is over there. Like, and most people don't understand that. And so he was struggling, you know, through those those weeks I was struggling. And, you know, when I just try to talk to my friends who weren't military, they're like, oh, we we don't understand. Like, I'm so sorry. Like, um, or they just try to understand and I'd be like, no, <laughs> like, no, this is not okay. And they're like, Oh, like it's it's one of those things where it's hard to relate uh, yeah. military life to a civilian life at that at that point. Right, and it's hard to tell somebody that. Well, I guess we go we can go off the track on this, but it's just hard to say to somebody that if you're going to send my father and our fathers to some foreign country to a war, then you you got to want to win that war, and you want to. Uh, or whatever, win your objective one way or the other, and uh, or don't bother, you know, don't don't yeah. take my father away and don't make him, don't expose him to to injury and death and so on. Uh, don't take him from his family, you know. If yeah. you're not taking this seriously, if this is just something you 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 are in favor of one day and then next day you don't care, well, <laughs> you're you're looking at the army the wrong way. Exactly. Yeah, they went over there to, you know, complete their mission and do their job. And then, you know, it comes around and it's like, okay, well, now what did you do? Like, and like, we still know and we still, you know, honor and respect, you know, the service of all the men and women who, you know, who did serve over there, who, you know, did, did their job and, was amazing at it and you know they did what they needed to do but in the end it's like what was it all for and that was the biggest question you know between me and my military friends and everything is what was it all for what what did you do this for right right and right what does it mean for the future yeah exactly. so um well another thing i was thinking about here with your life being First civilian and then military and then civilian. That's a that's an interesting way to to look at it. Uh, yeah. How, how long was your father in the army while you were? Well, yeah. How long that you know of uh, in your life in your conscious life? Yeah. 
Yeah, so he was in, um, in total, he was in just under 12 years. Um, I was born in 2002. Okay. He got out in 2003, so that's one year. Okay. And then he got back in in 2010. He was in 2011, 12, 13, and 14. Right. So about about six years. Six years that you were in military life yourself. With yeah, him. and yeah. one of them I was a baby, so yeah. like so, <laughs> I don't even remember that. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting too. You're talking about how uh, so you went from Cleveland, mm-hmm. Texas, uh, Fort Sam Houston. You said, yes. um, and, and it was a big culture change, culture shock, and so. On. And, I, and you hear so many uh, military brats saying how uh, they have a culture change. Uh, some, some of them live. Uh, I mean, of course, if I think back on, of course, I was really a little kid then, but first, I mean, five of the first 10 years of my life, I lived in Germany because we lived there twice. And yet I don't, I mean, I do remember the last two years in Germany, we were there. It was, uh, and it was a nice place, a lot like Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) They have castles. Right. Yeah. And one thing. It's a lot cooler. Yeah. yeah. One thing uh, while we were there, my, one of my uncles sent us my Three, I had three brothers at that point, and uh, or two that were there the whole time, and one was born there. But he sent us uh, coonskin caps because it was because um, I'm not sure it was Davy Crockett or Daniel Boone was popular on TV in America at the time. But we didn't get any of that TV in, in Germany. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't receive television on our television set, so we just sat in the living room for two and a half years doing nothing. But uh, because they had different uh, wavelengths and so on, or the broadcasting was different there in Germany, right? And they didn't; they probably didn't run American TV shows anyway. So we got that, and that's a that's an example of a kind of a mini culture shock that we didn't know about Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone being so uh, popular in in the culture in America. But we didn't; we weren't gone long enough to really get way out of the loop. But if you're gone for ten. 12 years in different countries. It could be in Taiwan or Japan or, or Germany or Turkey or whatever. Uh, it must be a shock. It must be even a, a stronger shock. You get back and you just don't know. People refer to certain things that is, they refer to certain music or popular TV shows and you just have no idea what they're talking about. You want yeah. Who you are. yeah. And you know, you never know how long you're going to be gone for necessarily, how how many years you're going to be in another country. And even if it's a short period of time in another country, it's like you get there and then you come back and it's like, okay, well, I wasn't gone for long, but it seems like I missed out on a lot. Yeah, one place to another. Now, in my when we moved from uh, Germany in 1960, uh, by the way, on the way back, our plane caught fire. I mean, the, the engine, one of the engines caught fire on the way back. We had to land in Scotland, but it was no, wow. it wasn't a big deal, I guess, but it was sort of an interesting story. But anyway, we got, we went back to Pennsylvania first on a way to, on a way, on our way to Fort Huachuca. And we stayed there for a month or so. And my mother put us in the school there. And uh, then we got moved to, we drove across country to, to Arizona and uh, got into school in Sierra Vista for a while, which is right outside of Fort Huachuca. Then we moved into Fort Huachuca in one neighborhood of Fort Huachuca called West Apache. The Apaches once once lived and once 
I think they even held Geronimo there for a while. And then, so we went to another school and we got to that point. And then we moved to about six months later to another part of Fort Huachuca and moved to a different school. So in my third grade, I had four different schools I was in. So we had wow. every school uh, is a little bit of change in the way the discipline works, the way the rules are, and just where you walk to the cafeteria and how you walk <laughs> and you talk and so on. So it's something you have to adjust to every, you know, every sometimes every few months. Yeah, I know. And I couldn't imagine, you know, moving schools more often than I did. You know, it's it's a struggle in, in itself moving, you know, the three different schools that I lived and I went to. Um, I couldn't imagine, you know, it's, it sounds so minute of like a problem or an issue of which way is the cafeteria, you know, things like that. But in reality, it's like, you know, to a little to a little kid, it's like it's a huge deal. You're not yeah. used to that. And kids are so accustomed to stability and there's none in the military life. Yeah, every time you move, you know, you just. You can just expect that first day in the cafeteria, just looking around and saying, who are these kids, you know, and you're filling out paperwork and you're saying, what are the rules here? And and you figure it out pretty fast. I guess that's, uh, I guess that's a good thing. I mean, you learn that you learn at different places, act differently. I mean, behave, have different behaviors and you have to adjust Right. And I mean, it goes back to even the culture, different cultural behaviors and, you know, what's uh, appropriate in different cultures and especially moving to different countries. Um, you yeah. know, those schools are so different. So you never really know what's appropriate. We were told that every we were, single school. Right. We were told that we were ambassadors when we went overseas. We went to Germany, especially. We, we were in France for a short time, too, for a summer. And, uh, we were told we were ambassadors, behave yourself because uh, the rest of the world looks at you as representing the United States and so you're not supposed to to uh, give a bad impression. Right. And that puts a lot of weight on a little uh, child's shoulders. You know, it's funny. In, in, in Germany, I don't know if this is so funny or not, but you know, <laughs> when you're a kid, you learn a couple bad words, right? A few cousins yeah. and so on. Well, so in Germany, we uh, I've picked up a few and my friend's did it too, and it wasn't a lot compared to these days, but anyway, so then we moved to Arizona, and I remember using a certain word on the, on the baseball field or on the playground, <laughs> and one kid came up to me and says, we don't talk like that here. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! And actually, it was probably a good thing. I needed to be told to watch my <laughs> So I kind of reined it in from there, and all I had to do is be told once from a stranger in a, in a new land that... Uh, I better adjust my behavior, and I did. Yeah, and like, you know, in Germany, that was probably appropriate, and then, you know, you come and you get told, like, you don't talk like that, you know? <laughs> like, it's so different. Depends on the people you hang around with, I think. <laughs> That's very true. That is very true. What was it like kind of, you know, experiencing living in different countries and living in the United States? And then, you know, you mentioned that, uh, your dad got out in when you were 13. So what was that kind of transition like after? Well, living in different countries, uh, the good thing was, and of course, we lived in Patrick Henry Village, which is an American settlement uh, in Heidelberg. So we had people around us that spoke English and basically American culture going on there, movie theater. 
things like that. But we had we did get out into Heidelberg and saw the castle and got to know the money, the, the marks and fennigs at the time. Now they just they're all euros now, but it was three. It was four marks to a dollar then, and the, the mark, the German currency, got uh, stronger and stronger as the next decade or two went by, and, and it was pretty much matched. The one mark equaled one dollar instead of four marks equaled a dollar when we were there. But um, so I was part of it. And then we learned a little bit of German, but not much. I mean, just enough to make a, a purchase in a store. You know, if we got to a store, we we could talk about uh, how much does this cost and things like that in German. Right. And, and uh, but my mother, I really got into the languages. She really, uh, she took German courses. She took French courses. Uh, when we got back to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, even though we weren't going to go to Russia, she took Russian courses because she wanted to know, well, she sort of figured we someday would be friends with the Russians. <laughs> and I guess <laughs> we almost were, I guess, for a, a year or two in the 90s. Uh, but um, uh, so she took Russian courses there. And uh, so, I mean, I, and I saw to her the value of languages and, and kind of probably rubbed off a little bit, a bit on me, but I didn't know how much uh, it would have I ended up taking Spanish in high school and college because <laughs> uh, they seemed more important at that time. But right. learn a little bit, and you learn uh, a little bit how the Germans are a little more um, formal on a lot of things, and they're stricter on just crossing the street, for example. I mean, if uh, if it says "Don't walk," you know, the walk "Don't walk" sign on a, a crosswalk, they will not cross that walk, even if there's no car coming for five miles, they just won't do wow. it. And I remember I asked one day, I mean, I'm looking, I'm thinking, why aren't we crossing? I'm in America, we would be crossing the street. Right. And I asked somebody, why, why don't you just cross now? I mean, there's no danger here. And they said, we do it as an example to the children. Uh, how could I argue? <laughs> that's a good argument. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's one thing. And then you asked about... Uh, Oh, what was it like getting out? Getting out? Oh, yeah. So, all right. In 66, um, we were living in California, uh, almost directly between, in between uh, San Francisco and uh, Los Angeles, in Atascadero, near Camp Roberts, which is near Fort Ord. So Camp Roberts is really tiny, and almost nobody remembers it these days. But uh, and my father decided, I think he was looking at and thank God he was really, he was looking at us boys saying that we really deserve to have most of our high school years in one place. Mm -hmm. So he retired in 66. So my older brother got three years in high school in, in one place here. We moved to Pottstown, Pennsylvania, which is, in, is near Philadelphia. And uh, he settled down here and I got four years of my high school right here in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, and which is, I think, a, a good steadying thing for any kid you should have at least your high school years in one spot if not more but uh, right. start that way but um the adjustment wasn't too big a deal because we had been in a in a catholic school in a little catholic school in uh, paso robles california while my father was in the army out there and we moved to a catholic high school here in Pottstown, pennsylvania so by then i was used to nuns teaching us and uh, I knew the rules 
Right. So that worked out pretty well. And I, and they're pretty strict in this high school here too. And it, uh, that worked that way things worked out eventually. Yeah. That's, you know, I hear a lot from military kids that, you know, there's some that, you know, throughout high school, they had four different high schools in four <laughs> years. And some of them, you know, their parents tried to make sure that they were in, you know, as least the least amount of high schools they could um, just so they didn't have to change schools during those formative years of their lives. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know if this is true. I wonder if officers have more of a choice to stay in one place than uh, than. Uh, enlisted men, uh, the NCOs like my father. I don't know if that's true. If uh, they probably, they, they get kicked around as much as the NCOs, I think, but maybe maybe a little bit less depending on what officer's position you hold where. So maybe they can keep their kids in one school, high school, even in the army, they can stay in one place for at least those four years or three years, depending on which kind of high school you go to. And uh, Yeah, that is interesting. That might make a difference too. But, yeah. But anyway, I don't know if I told you, I I, uh, I wrote a book about living in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. I just just published it last month, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Here. That's really cool. I don't know if you can see this, but it's called Tumbleweed Forts. Okay. I'll just show it to you anyway. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Tumbleweed Forts, and it's about living in Fort Huachuca, Arizona. And the reason I wrote it was that it was just such a, wonderful time we had so much fun there i mean there was a couple of crazy things that weren't so good that happened like i accidentally started a, a brush fire but that was uh, put out by the fire company but uh, <laughs> and then i was worried about getting my father in trouble i did it almost as soon as we got there my, wow. my brothers and i were with a friend we were playing with matches and and i went off a little bit and started my own fire and it just started spreading. I had no idea it could spread that fast. And uh, it was going up, you know, through the brush and up some trees. And finally, the, somebody called the fire trucks out there. But uh, but other than that, and a, a couple minor things, it was generally uh, getting in trouble for not doing my homework. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was a great place to explore. There was always these rumors of gold in the hills of, uh, of Wachuca, Can uh, Wachuca Canyon. And so my friends and I and my brothers and I would go up to the canyon and look around for the gold that was supposed to be buried uh, uh, about about two miles up the canyon. And, uh, and a rumor had been started by a by a an, a, a sergeant of private and a private during World War II said he fell into a cave that was full of gold bars, and he oh, wow. he wanted to come back and dig for it. And actually, he did send a crew out when I was there in early 1963 to dig for it. They actually had excavators and a big crew there dug into the ground. And there were, water was gushing. The spring water was gushing from the mountain and mud all over the place. They didn't find a thing. But it was a very interesting time for that. Uh, Gregory Peck came to, uh, the, the actor came to Fort Huachuca in 1963 to film a movie. It was called Captain Newman, M.D., not a real famous movie, but it's not a bad movie either. It's about a psychiatrist treating uh, soldiers back from World War II. But anyway, he was there. They were filming the movie at the time that uh, To Kill a Mockingbird was already in the theaters. And have you seen To Kill a Mockingbird? 
I think I've seen parts of it. Okay. I don't know if I've seen the full thing. <laughs> also, the movie addresses, you know, black-white relations in America, especially in the South. Mm-hmm. And um, a very good movie. And while he was in Fort Huachuca filming, uh, well, he and the crew then left for a weekend because that Monday night they were going to have the Academy Awards. And that's when he won his Oscar for To Kill a Mockingbird. It was a, a very good movie, excellent movie. And uh, so I was there at the at the uh, uh, scene of this one uh, episode of Captain Newman, M.D. So they were filming a scene where a guy... A colonel jumps off a water tower to commit suicide because he's a little bit crazy and then, you know, upset. And and uh, obviously his, his life has changed because of World War II, something he has seen and encountered during the war. Anyway, he jumps off a water tower. So I was there the day they were filming that movie, but none of the actors was there. They just used a dummy. They were All the actors were in Hollywood for the, the Academy Awards. They kept throwing a dummy off the tower. They threw a dummy off about 10 times to show the reaction of the nurses and, and orderlies and, and staff on the ground to this colonel jumping off the tower. So they're just, just to get a, one little reaction shot of about three seconds or five seconds, they were filming right. this thing over and over with a dummy being thrown off the tower. So that was my experience <laughs> in watching Hollywood at, at work. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of crazy. Anyway, it was just a, that was just one of the crazy little things that happened on, on that fort. And, uh, Anyway, that was one of my fond memories. And I call it Tumbleweed Forts, the book, because two things. Uh, when we first got there, that's what we did. We found tumbleweed. And my brothers and I built tumbleweed forts. So we built a fort out of this tumbleweed, which is a great material, very light, and kind of sticks together. And you can have a, a fort built in you know 15 minutes. But the trouble was, the next day you come out, and the fort was gone because the wind would have just blown it away. And I remember right. how shocked we were that this big fort we built was gone the next day, you know? And, and uh, so we had to build another and another. Well, to me, Tumbleweed Forts reminds me of that experience in, in Fort Huachuca, but it also kind of, you can look at it as like a metaphor for army life that you have a fort one day and it's gone the next, you leave it behind and, and you start mm-hmm. all over again. So that's what tumbleweed forts means. That's incredible. Yeah, it's so true that, you know, you're there one day, you're gone the next, you're moving all around, you know, doing so many different things and experiencing so many different lives. Right. And where is home? And that's that's always a big question. So, and yeah, the other thing is, and you've talked to, to a lot of, I guess you have talked to a lot of military brats. Um, mm-hmm. They often talk about military brats as having such resiliency we adapt really well and, and i think there's a lot of truth to that but yeah i think they overdo that and sometimes we overdo that when we don't remember that also we do feel sadness when we leave our friends behind and uh, we don't want to forget them it's not like we just uh, build a whole new life and just say who cares about whatever happened before we don't forget that stuff and that's uh, I guess that's what drove me to write, this, write the book, too, is that I, I remember it really well. <laughs> 60 years later, I remember it. Uh, yeah. And I don't think uh, people understand that side of uh, army brats or military brats, that there's more 
to it than just leaving people behind and, and starting again. You don't just start again and forget the past. You remember your old friends and they're, they're important to you. Right. Yeah, that's so true. So we have time for one more question. Okay. Um, so what advice would you give to another military child? Today? Uh, yes. Advice to a military child? Well, I'll tell you, okay, yes. Take pictures of all your friends, right? Take pictures of all your friends and put their names on the back of those pictures so you don't forget who they are. I mean, I don't think you're going to forget the most important anyway, but get their pictures. Take a picture of your school. Um, writing my book, I uh, I was dying for a picture of my old school when in the ni- in 1960s, the early 1960s. I, no, nobody ever took a picture of that school. Uh, we didn't yeah. take as many pictures in those days. We didn't take pictures of the food we eat in front of us and things like that that we take pictures of these days. But you think they take a picture of a school? Well, they didn't. So take a picture <laughs> of wherever you are. Take a picture of every little favorite place you see and keep those pictures and save them and and, uh, and put notes on them that remind you what, what they were and why they were important. That's my advice. Yeah. I love taking pictures, so that's great advice. <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your experiences. Yes. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good day then. You as well. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms, or you can send an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.